Today's episode of Found Down is brought to you by Unwound Retreats. Unwound Retreats offers fun events and travel experiences for nurses locally and internationally. Founded by me, Nicole Johnson, ICU nurse and host of the Found Down podcast, I provide opportunities for nurses to practice self-care, learn, and travel together. These last two years have been brutal in healthcare, and why not give yourself the gift to unwind, learn, and grow? Previous guests have loved the experiences, especially because you can just show up and know that everything will be taken care of. Unwound Retreats is offering exciting and luxurious retreats in Morocco and Mexico. Go over to unwoundretreats.com and sign up to get on the email list so you can find out more. Welcome to the Found Down Podcast. This is a podcast of untold nursing stories that are sometimes hilarious, dark, insane, and anything in between. As a warning, this show is rated E and is mature in content. It often deals with the reality of life and death and how we as nurses intersect with that on a regular basis. If we laugh, it's not out of disrespect. We love what we do and have every intention of continuing to do so. With that, enjoy the show. Well, hello and welcome to the Found Down Podcast. I'm your host, Nicole Johnson, and today I'm so excited. I have Sam Doyle with us. She is a critical care nurse practitioner with a long history of working actually in oncology and now is working in ICU. So today we're going to catch up with Sam, find out how she's doing. We're going to see kind of how she got into oncology and what that's been like. Um, And then one thing I think is going to be so cool is we're going to talk a little bit about how do you find the good when things are hard at work and what makes you go back. Um, and we might actually even talk about her um, box, her time when she was a boxer. So anyway, that's sort of what's to come. Sam, how are you doing today? How am I doing? You know, I'm doing really well today because my kids are on vacation with their grandma. So I am child free, which is awesome. amazing. So I've had a couple of days off of work and a couple of days off of um, parenting from homeschooling three children. Uh, and I rode my Peloton this morning and I drank tea. So I feel great today. I feel good. That's awesome. Yeah. I I feel like you're the demographic where I worry the most about folks because they're <laughs> yeah. like the, the, the full-time parents, the full-time mm-hmm. who are doing the school and don't really ever get a break. Yes, I'm the demographic I worry about too. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, all of the above. <laughs> it's just like so, it's, you're plate mostly is full all the time. Uh, yeah, I agree. Yes, it is. I usually have my kids, I co-parent, um, and I have my kids four days a week and then I work in the ICU three days a week, which is, um, insane, but survivable. Lately it has been insane. (laughs) It has been, it was nuts. It was nuts last week. Jeez. Well, I'm so glad you're getting an opportunity to have a break. I'm glad you did your Peloton. That's so cool. Yes. So I'm curious. One time we talked about this. Um, so we both work in a um, NICU and also an oncology ICU. And Sam, yeah. how did you get into oncology? You know, it kind of happened to me. Um, it chose me. It's funny. I was talking to someone yesterday about this because I asked someone how she became a midwife. And then she asked me this question, how I got into oncology. Um, I did what was called the MEPIN program at UW. So the master's entry program for nursing. My previous life was actually in social work. I worked for a large, well-funded nonprofit in Seattle, right out of college. 
And I got laid off and they gave me a very generous severance package. And I thought, okay, my, I can do anything I want to do. What do I want to do? Um, I think I want to fix people, but I didn't want to go to medical school. So skip ahead to when I'm actually in um, nurse practitioner school for the peds portion of clinical, I get stuck at Seattle Children's and they put me in on the oncology stem cell transplant floor. I had never talked to very many well children other than babysitting. I'd never examined a child, much less taken the blood pressure of a toddler, but I loved the oncology floor. So even though it was terrifying um, and I didn't want to go into pediatrics, but that's where I fell in love with oncology. So my specialty at that time was actually infectious disease, which of course is closely related to oncology. Um, but that's kind of how it happened. And that was 11 years ago. Mm. Yeah. What was it you think about oncology that drew you to it? Like what, if you can, I don't know if you can pinpoint it. Um, Cause I, I mean, I, it drums up a lot of feelings for me, you know, yeah, like death and dying and all, and all of that, but not necessarily, that's not obviously the case. What, what is it for you that um, fell in love with it? I think for me, it was, there's always hope for cure. There's always, um, it's a huge, huge problem. It's a diverse clinical problem. You can work with any population. You can work with babies, you can work with old people, you can work in a clinic, you can work in critical care, and you can work with, you know, people with a terminal diagnosis, you can work with anything. Um, but I like the challenge of it. And I like the long-term relationships, maybe not in the ICU, but in the clinic setting, the long-term relationships you have with patients. Um, you can know them for years, for months to years, or in our clinical environment, you get to know them very intimately, very quickly. I've told people that being in the ICU is sort of like speed dating clinically. You get to know like their entire family and their entire mental history and all their feelings in, in like a day, right? And so a week in the ICU can feel like a year in clinic. So I like the clinical challenge. I do have an interest in palliative care that we get to use our skills in that area a lot as well. Um, I like the science. I like the interdisciplinary nature of our specialty as well. So it just had all the things that I liked. And I thought I could spend a few, I could spend a few decades here. But I'm only one decade down. I have a few more to go. So <laughs> Now, and you have mostly focused in stem cell transplants. Is that right? Or do you have a uh, kind of, for liquid, tu liquid tumors, as they call well, it? Well, I've done a tour of oncology. So I started, so when I first graduated, Fred Hutch, um, they hire a ton of new grads. So they hired me because I'd been, while I was in the NP program, a night nurse at Children's. So I'd worked with kids getting stem cell transplant. And so then I went to the adult program, same idea, at Fred Hutch, and they worked on the BMT service at UW. Uh, after that, the platinum team, the Hemon platinum team was born. And I, I thought the transplant team was fine, but there was a new acute care service to, to help with the house staff. So I did that, and I did a bit of sarcoma as well. Um, and then I came to the ICU. So I've done a bit, a bit of everything. So can you, um, you said, well, there was one piece that stood out. You said one of the reasons you fell in love with it, that, that there's a, always a hope for a cure. Yeah. Can you speak to that yeah. a little bit? Yeah. I think, you know, I think 
people, I think for one, I didn't know before I went into oncology that cancer is a huge group of diseases. I used to think of cancer as one disease and cancer is a group of diseases with a group of related complications, right? And I never knew how complicated cancer was until I went into oncology. Um, so cancer isn't one thing. And there are many cancers which you do have a hope of a remission or a long-term remission, or you can sort of, your health can plateau and then you might, you know, die from your disease. Um, but I think it's never hopeless. I don't think that, I don't think, even in situations where patients can be, can't be cured, it doesn't mean there isn't a reason to hope for something. So the, the thing at the end might not be you live five more years. The, ho the hope might be that you have a good death. The hope might be that you make it home to see your grandchild born. It might be you're there for Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't, I've learned that it isn't as hopeless as it often is thought to be at the beginning. Mm -hmm. Right. It just, it kind of depends what your goal is when you go into it. Um, and it helps me find it less depressing. You yeah. know, yes, it's depressing. This person has cancer, but given that, what can we then do to help this person have a better life, have a better death or whatever it is that's realistic. It's not a hopeless situation. God, that gives me hope listening to you talk about it. <laughs> just, I feel like extrapolating to life, you know, mm -hmm. like just mm -hmm. in general, that, mm -hmm. that maybe there's, it's not a hopeless situation, especially mm -hmm. as we're dealing with life in 2020. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Are there any patients that made it through that? Or do, do you ever connect with patients? Like, uh, I mean, you, I know you develop relationships with them, yeah. but do you ever connect, like stay friends or out with folks outside of work? Um, you know, it's funny. There was one person I did like years ago in sarcoma clinic. Um, she died a few years ago, and she, it came back to me last a uh, couple weeks ago on six SA, which was very strange. So um, she had been a patient of mine. Um, and then a few weeks ago on six SA, a friend of hers, I was admitting that friend's um, father. Mm -hmm. I didn't, recognize her because of course we're all masked up these days we're talking i'm talking about her father he's super sick coming from the transplant team and she says did you take care of my friend ann and i think i i did and she said when you you came to her house when she was dying i said I, I did on Capitol Hill. She said, yes, on Capitol Hill. And she said, you brought her a peach pie. And I said, I did. I said, because we had talked in clinic. I met her. I'd met Anne in clinic the day before and, um, or days before. And I given her like the news, like your scan is so terrible. I'm so sorry. Like it's time to transition to hospice. And, but we've been talking about peaches for, I don't know. We were talking about peaches and I said, I want to make you a peach pie. And she said, that sounds great. And then we were never going to see each other again. And then she went home on hospice. Anyhow, and then we cut to the scene where I'm at her house and she's in her hospice bed in the living room. And I decide I'm going to make you that damn peach pie. And I did. And this friend was there. And I don't have any, any memory of this friend. And that friend was on 6SA a couple of weeks ago. And she remembered me and I had no memory of her. So I rarely connect with patients like outside of work. Yeah. This woman had been my patient for a long time in clinic. And it was so strange to then see her friend 
on success a that was a trip to see her what a, well i'm sure it came flooding back to you and you're like yeah it was totally bizarre it's like i've never made a peach pie since and i guess of course i remember her and that's amazing you remember me and it was crazy there, there we were on success a what a beautiful um, benevolent thing that you did it was i yeah it was just a thing i was like we're not done yet so I delivered a pie. <laughs> um, what did it? Mm, I don't know how, how you're going to respond to this, but how? What did that? What does that feel like to tell somebody um, deliver? I guess really bad news. To tell them they're going to they're going to die. die. Awful. Like if it, it you never. I feel like I've never said it without tripping over my words. Like, yeah, but I've never said, you know, I'm so sorry. I have bad news for you. And then do you just say it and leave? Like you, for one, you don't want to rush it. You want to make sure it sounds authentic because you are sorry. You want it to sound not rehearsed and can. It's like, hey, this is the 51st time I'm saying this today. Oh, yeah. right? Like you want it to sound, it's genuine. And you want it to be personal. And you want it to be slow because their brain's going to explode the minute it, the minute the words hit their ears, their amygdala is going to explode. They're not going to be able to think anymore. So it's, it's really hard to tell someone, you know, it's time to transition to comfort care or I think you're dying imminently. I think you're dying today. I think you're dying this week. Um, or I don't think there are any more medical options for you. So I feel like I always trip over my words mm. when I do it. And I always I also remember that there are times in everyone's life, whether it's like your kid is born or I don't know, you it's get milestones. married or you get divorced and you remember the words people say. So I'm keenly aware of like, you said I get to swear, like don't fuck this up. Like, don't fuck up this sentence. Don't fuck up this paragraph because they're going to remember how you said it, when you said it, did you look away? Did you look down? Did you stutter? Like, this is the moment you're telling them that their mother is going to die today. Do not fuck this up, <laughs> right? Yeah. And yeah. then I stutter, and then I like, of course I get all flustered. Um, and I always try not to tear up. And I would say, I don't know, like 40% of the time I do because it's, it's horrible. There's no way to just say, well, you're dying. So I'll check in with you in a bit. Like there's just no, if you get to that point, then you need to find a different job. Yeah. If you just say it and you're like, yeah, well, everybody dies. <laughs> well, we could all be like the president. It is what it is. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like not my goal here. No, so no. It, it doesn't get, it doesn't get easier. And there are sometimes I do it and I'm like, okay, Doyle, that was, uh, that was pretty good. And there are some times where I'm like, that was really good. That was really good. Like I would want me to tell me that I'm going to die. <laughs> like, and there are times where I'm like, yeah, no, I would have wanted someone else to tell me I was going to die. That could have been a little more, um, more smooth. It's a skill. It's a skill, but it's a skill with a lot of emotion. It's a different skill than like taking a manual blood pressure. You know? Yes. Well, it's a learned skill. I mean, they don't, yeah. you, you don't 
you don't learn that in school. I didn't learn that in school. I've only learned that by watching my colleagues do it well and terribly. <laughs> um, yeah, you're like, book note, bookmark. Um, oh, don't do that. Don't and, say that. And oh my gosh, do that. And there yeah. are some things I've learned. Do that. Like speak slowly. Like it's okay to touch people. Um, it's like a hand on their shoulder is okay. Um, yeah, pause. Let people cry. Like let the silence hang. I learned things over time because I used to just want to drop the bad news and then run. Yeah, but you can't. But you can't. So now I've learned to speak more slowly than I usually do. Ask what questions do they have. And then just sort of sit in that like horrible like discomfort of like the pain in the room. Whereas your impulse as a human is to just, uh, is to run away. But you just have to sit in the human pain, you know, for however long it's going to be there. That's the challenge of it. So I feel like my heart is aching a little bit as I, I mean, cause I imagine that space. Yeah. Cause that's what it feels like. That's yeah. what it feels like. Yeah. Yes. Oh yeah. That's what it feels like. Ooh. Yeah. Well, I think this is a good segue for how do you find the good when shit gets hard? Like what mm. brings you back to work when, and you can extrapolate this to life too, but mm-hmm. what makes you able to do the work that you do when things are, things are tough and things are tough for a lot of people right now? Hmm. Um, I think, um, there are a lot of ways to answer that question. Um, I'm not, a, I'm not a religious person at all, but I, I, I guess I'm sort of woo-woo at times. I'm not sure. I, I'm not sure. I think that some people, I think all of us, okay, I think all of us, are, we have jobs that we're just sort of meant to do, right? I think we have jobs we're meant to do or we have particular like hobbies that we're just like meant to do. So I think part of it is that I love what I do and part of it is I'm just like, I'm meant to do it. I'm meant to help fix people. I don't know that I'm meant to be a critical care nurse practitioner forever, but I can't really see myself doing anything else. It's just kind of like, that was my place. I landed there 10 years ago and that was it. Like that was the fit for me, period. So maybe calling is too strong of a word, but a non-religious connotation to that. So that's part of it. Like I can't imagine myself not doing that. It's, it's like imagining myself not being a mom at this mm. point. Like, or it, it's just absurd. Like I, I can't imagine there's no Sam without that. There's no Sam without being a mom. So that's part of it. Other things that keep, keep me coming back. Um, I think there's opportunity at work. I mean, there are times when I've thought, this is so depressing. I hate my job. I'm going to go, ba- I'm going to go bake cookies for a living, man. I'm going to like put sprinkles and shit and I'm going to be poor. And I'm going to be happy. And like, fuck all of this. Like, like just screw it. Like, Cancer will continue. I'm going to bake cookies. I'll go live in my mom's basement and I don't care anymore, you know, (laughs) but I do. Um, And I always think there's an opportunity at work to help people. And like I said about 
you know, cure or whatnot, even if we can't cure people and we don't, I mean, we have a high mortality rate on 6SA. I think for us, it's like 25% of our patients die in onc ICU. There's still opportunity to do good for them, you know? And so I think that's where our job is. Like, can we fix this one thing for you? Can we fix this septic shock for you? Even if you die of leukemia in three months, like, can we get you three months more of life or, can we provide you with a good death? Like that's something that I can do for you. Like I know that I can help you die well. You know, I know that I can get, I can, maybe I can get you home. We got a 90 some year old woman home a few months ago um, to South Seattle. Um, that kind I of. I remember that. That was yeah. really, really, that, that really did a lot of good for everybody. On the yeah. Internet. Yeah. That, and that kind of stuff I think really like helps us keep going. Um, and like that, that's what keeps me coming back, you know, or I had a family from Eastern Washington last year who was kind of wary of, of all of us. And like, we were like big city people and they weren't so sure about all of us. And like the husband died and the wife gave me a giant hug and she was in tears and she said, thank you for giving my husband such a good death. Like I, I didn't know that people could die like that because the experiences she had had were people in her family dying suffering you know Mm -hmm. so no we can't save his life but we gave him a good death so those experiences although tragic are satisfying like i i can help you in some way sometimes in the beginning of the day i think all these people are broken i don't know how i can help any of you i look at my list of eight people and i'm like you are all so broken i'm like i can't do shit here I can't. I have septic shock, liver failure, multi-organ failure, respiratory failure. I'm like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to bake cookies. <laughs> yeah. Right? But I just have to find a way in each of these, in everyone's problem list. I'm like, what can I fix in this total shitstorm? What can I fix? Right? And last week I was talking to a patient. I didn't fix much of his medical problems. I was waiting for GI to come and scope him. But what I fixed was... We talked about books, we talked about movies and what he was watching on Netflix and what he thought I should watch next. I'm like, cool. Like that was our thing, you know? That goes to back to building relationships. Yeah. And, and what that does is build trust and comfort and a little less or a little more normalcy and less mm-hmm. hospital, hospital life. Yeah, especially these days. Yeah. That's so cool. Hey there, you fabulous nurse you. Did you know that I have a self-care for healthcare business called Unwound Retreats, where we do virtual mini retreats that offer meditation and yoga? If you go to unwoundretreats.com right now and sign up for my email list, I'll send you over a free PDF of seven ways to de-stress at work and refill your cup. Also, you'll get to hear about my upcoming offerings for nurses, including a Nurses Moroccan Retreat this June 2021. After the year we're having, we are definitely going to need this. Again, go to unwoundretreats.com and sign up today. Do you remember what you're supposed to be watching? Um, I'm, I'm forgetting the name, but um, on his previous admission, he talked about Breaking Bad and why he liked Breaking Bad so much, and I liked Breaking Bad. There's a prequel to Breaking Bad, it's something Saul, because Saul's one of the main characters. Oh, f- find Saul? Call, something like Call Saul? Or- something like that. And so he was like, oh, if you like Breaking Bad, you have to watch the prequel. And I was like, no, I gotta go. See ya, dude. <laughs> so I put it in my Netflix queue, like right away when I got to the team room, because um, I did love Breaking Bad. So 
Very cool. He did fine. He made it out of the ICU back to acute care, and I will definitely be watching. That's so cool. I didn't know there was a prequel. I love those, like, moments with patients. Yeah. Yeah. It was a good moment. We don't always have those. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. Anything else about what keeps you coming back? You know, I think mostly, most days, I just love what I do. I mean, I do. I love what I do. I love most of the people that I work with. <laughs> yeah, I do. I love, you know, most of them. 99. I love 99.9% of the people I work with. Um, and that keeps me coming back, even when I'm like, everyone's going to die. My job is so sad. I hate my job. Mm-hmm. I'm like, well hey, maybe Nicole is charged or maybe I'll see Kevin today or like maybe somebody refilled the candy bowl. Like maybe there's something good happening even when everyone's going to die. Sometimes that keeps me coming back. And even though I feel like a tiny little, you know, public employee peon in this giant, you know, system. Yeah. You know, just going to work, earning my pension every day, I still feel like, you know, I hope this makes a difference in someone's life. I hope this conversation, this hug, this laugh about a movie, this extra phone call to say your mom's doing okay. Like, I hope, I hope this makes a difference, you know, and sometimes it's hard to know that it does Mm -hmm. because you don't get feedback. We don't get feedback on what we do. We just Mm -hmm. do it. And then we go home and we wonder, did that make any difference at all? Like, yeah. did I do anything in the world today? Like, I think I did. I don't know if I did, but I hope I did. And, and then some days you're like, I really did. I know I did, you know? So, but most of the days it feels pretty good to do what I do. Well, no. having worked with you and seeing what you do, mm. you're, I mean, an amazing clinician mm. and you can read the room and you're so good with your patients and uh and your deadpan humor is always (laughs) (laughs) thank you (laughs) and obviously you're well loved by your colleagues and you know we just it's Uh, it's a joy just a joy to work with you you. thank you sometimes i can't control the humor and like i just (laughs) like i i try to have a filter and then i say it and i'm like oh god what did i just say there was a pending on last week that I made a joke in front of her and I was like, oh, oh, that was the wrong attending to joke with. <laughs> it ended up okay, but it was kind of an awkward moment. I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> oh, did I say that? I was like, was that my, that was my mouth that said that. Oh, God. <laughs> the filter just got a crack. Because usually I'm so like, I have a little bit of RBF. I, I have a, actually a moderate RBF, resting bitch face, people. I have a case of that. Uh, so I often look enraged when I'm completely fine. <laughs> I'm fine. Yeah. It also doesn't help that for those of you that don't know me, I'm a nearly six foot tall black woman with a resting bitch face. It's a lot to handle. <laughs> <laughs> I, there was one time recently I was like, are you okay? Like, yeah, totally. Totally. I'm fine. Sometimes it's my thinking face. It's like my, oh, yeah. I'm, it's like my ABG. I'm interpreting an ABG face. And what should I do with the vet face? And I'm hungry. And God damn it. What time is rounds? And why is my daughter texting me? Like it's that face. Yeah. So, and sometimes I'm just enraged because look at the world. 
No, exactly. It's exactly right. You never know. Just approach, just say hi. I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> so one thing folks don't know about you no. probably is that you were a boxer for a couple of years. I was. And when you told me that, I was just like, damn, that's so cool. Because <laughs> um, I, I actually, I used to work out um, at the place that you used to train. Yeah. Um, so what was that like being a boxer? And then what did that, can you talk yeah. a little about that time in your life? Yeah. So that was pre-nursing. That was pre-everything. That was pre-kids, pre-nursing. I was in my 20s. I was still willing to be hit in the head regularly. So <laughs> I wouldn't call for that anymore. But at the time I was happy. I, I consented to being hit in the head regularly. Um, <laughs> so funny. Yeah, which is really dumb, but here we are still functioning pretty well. Um, how did I, so how did I get into boxing? God, well, I'll tell you how I got into boxing. So what happened was this is a harebrained idea. Don't, don't do this. I watched a movie called Girl Fight, and I was like, um, something Rodriguez. Uh, oh. Michelle, Melissa. Anyway, it's a badass movie. I watched the movie, and this woman decided she was going to be a boxer. And I was like, oh, I can do that. <laughs> I can be a boxer. And so then I got on Google, and I was like, oh, cool, there's a boxing gym. I'm going to go down there and be a boxer. Who does that? <laughs> That's what happened. And so then I took my into the boxing gym and my only previous athletic experience had mostly been shot put and weightlifting in high school um, and I was like I'm gonna be a boxer and Cappy was like uh-huh okay cool and I tripped over my feet for a while I couldn't put my hand wraps on and every time someone hit me like hard I cried I would like go out in front of the gym and I would, go, <laughs> I would cry because I would get all like emotional about it but I stuck with Cappy for a few years and then I joined his boxing team and he needed a super heavy weight, which isn't even that heavy. It's like 170 plus for women. And that was like my birth weight pretty much. <laughs> <So> <laughs> I was like, cool. I will always make weight, Cappy. Uh, and so then I started to box for him like four nights a week for, and then he com competed. So for him. Yeah. What? So he was your coach and you always think uh, about these like amazing relationships between yeah. the, the boxing coach and the boxer mm -hmm. and Rocky and all those other, yeah. yeah. Um, where they teach you these cool, you know, yeah. the way that they coach is and, and inevitably it's these like major life lessons. What did Cappy teach you that you've taken forward with you yeah. through the rest of your life? Cappy's taught me a lot. And actually, we're still in touch. I, I actually messaged him last week. But um, mostly, he taught me a few things. But he taught me, um, I would say two things that come to mind, not in order. The first was to always come back to something. Like, even when something is hard, to just go and, like, have your feelings. Just whatever. He, and he would say, like, this is just your amygdala in your brain freaking out. Like, go let it have its time, go outside, cry, freak out, walk around the block, take some deep breaths, and then come back. He's like, you're having a fear response to someone hitting you. This is normal, but we need to like train this out of you. Like, this, is, this is not how you're going to be an effective boxer because you're not thinking. 
You're not thinking in those moments. You are just reacting to, your brain is reacting, but actually not your brain, your little reptile brain is reacting, but not your frontal lobe. So that's why you're becoming like a like reactive ball of like tears. Yeah. Um, but he never, you know, belittled or he was, he was very supportive. He was like, just go, it's fine. Take your time. And then I would come back and he, and then he would be like, now get back in the ring. Okay, I'll get back in the ring. And I would find my chill and get back in the ring. And then the other thing, which I still, I, I think will be a lifelong thing for me, if not most people, is when you're faced with situations where you want to just freak out, is to try to use your frontal lobe and react instead of using, you know, try to, try to respond, sorry, instead of reacting. Like try to actually use your brain instead of using your amygdala. You know, and that took me a long time to learn in boxing, but you learn that because someone is hitting, hitting you, right? He said, but, you know, but if you just brawl back, you're not going to win. You're not going to get points by just reacting and flailing. You have to mm-hmm. think while they're hitting you, which is really challenging to do. So That sounds incredibly challenging. Yeah. But also so important just because it's, yes, you talk about the amygdala. Yeah. That's where we're, you know, if we're experiencing something, I don't know, you could extrapolate to work, to life, to whatever. Right. Um, that's not the place to. You can't work from there. No. Right. And that, I mean, that's how it is in ICU. Like someone comes in and I'm like, oh my God, what? They're on like, they're on three pressers and their platelets are one and their systolic is 70 and they're, oh, they're semi-conscious. Like, ah! <laughs> right? Yeah. Like it's the same sort of, like kind of thing and then like, okay think and, I, and then I have to like stop and think what's going to kill them first okay their airway is going to kill them first okay their blood pressure is going like, to forget their plate like count of one like right. it's the same sort of and sometimes my brain doesn't work well and I'm like ah, fuck <laughs> like, and I just like I can't like think of it all and sometimes I'm like okay I have to put these 12 clinical problems in order mm-hmm. you know and it's the same sort of thing um, that I learned in boxing it's like, okay, this person's beating me up, but I have to res- learn how to respond to them instead of just flailing and crying and freaking out. I need to think and I need to respond. And it's the same in the ICU. I've got to think. I've got to respond. I see the blood pressure is 60. Okay, at least we have one. Let's right. what are we do about that. Now right. what are we do about this? Like just be, you know, and just kind of suppress the... Um, Fear response. Yeah, you just have to... Like it's there, it can be there, but you can like learn to sort of tamp it down a bit right it's like yeah. let's okay run let's not go with what we know and right like you know this it's not overwhelming just organize it mm-hmm. like what's the most important thing here amidst this entire shit show what is the most important thing yeah yeah i mean that's exactly why there's acls algorithms right yeah because you right. are you're when someone is dying yeah you're like you're fear you're you're Responses. Oh, sh- fuck. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. What do we do? What do we do? Oh, <laughs> oh, wait, I know. Okay. You know what to do. Step one. <laughs> exactly. Start at CPR. Right. You know? Start here. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. Call people for help. Yeah. People don't think well in those situations at all. La- I think a couple weeks ago, I totally freaked out because somebody was in an airborne isolation room, you know, a person under investigation for COVID. Mm-hmm. I had just been in there 
I was charged. I was just there with like two other nurses. I leave, you know, and it takes a minute, right? Yeah. To get in, to get out. You don't want to mess it up. I left. <laughs> and in the moment I left, like got out of the room, their blood pressure was 50. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Like, God damn it. And they're like yelling through the <laughs> trying to get your attention. Like, get leave it get whatever. So I left and I was not calm. And I like screamed down the <laughs> to get the norepi, you know, leave it fed, norepinephrine. And then I see Nancy who's like right next to me and she's like, Call. Oh, it's okay. We're getting it. We've got it. And I was, and I was like, oh. Oh, I guess it was, I was not, sorry, sorry, I know, I was like, oh, oh, okay, well, I'm just going to walk away, (laughs) there's no, call a code, I know, (laughs) that's awesome, I felt, I felt very seen in in, in an uncomfortable way, in the hallway, in the hallway, well done, well done, but it was my fear, yeah, no, and I knew that, I mean, I guess, whatever, the whole thing being in isolation, that makes it a lot harder. Yeah, it does. And, but, um, whatever, <laughs> sometimes we freak out. That was your amygdala screaming down the hall. It was. <laughs> I, don't, I haven't done that for a while. I don't think it worked. I don't know. Have you ever seen me freak out at work? No. Okay, phew. Maybe I should just for fun soon. You know? Yeah. No, yeah. yeah. I totally will. Um, yeah, I have not seen you freak out. I've just seen you, I've seen you be very, I feel like, well, most of the time I I feel like I do this, but I apparently don't always do this. But I feel like I see you just go inward Uh and like, just start systematically thinking we need to do this. We need to do this. We need to do this. So, um, Mm -hmm. I need to find my inner Sam when I freak (laughs) out. I'm gonna find my inner Nicole next week. And then friend! Get the fucking ass nor I'm gonna just let it go next week. I felt so bad. I was not my finest moment. It's gonna feel so freeing. I can't wait. You what? It's gonna feel so freeing. It will. Just let it let it all out and then your colleagues will wonder what the hell's wrong with you. (laughs) That's so true. They really would if I did that. Yes. Yes, you are a cool cucumber. Yeah, they sure. would really freak out if I screamed in the hallway. Okay, I'll, I'll <laughs> <on> that. <laughs> Your MO is, well, I just think about in the morning, like when we do these, we, we talk about our lit patient lists. You're like, yeah. gonna die. Doing well. <laughs> <laughs> I can edit that out, but. <laughs> gonna leave, never gonna leave. <laughs> never gonna leave. Got some serious family problems here. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> You're like, then I'm going to make tea. Bye-bye. Right, right. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Sam, it's been so fun chatting with you. <laughs> Likewise. I love that you were on the show. Now I get to give you a hat. Yes. That's why I did it. That's the only reason I did this was the For hat. the hat. Good. Yeah. Sorry. Um, Let's go back to a couple lessons that we learned, which was one, respond, not react, which is a, ma- a major do awesome. Can. Do what you can. Yeah. Do, yes. And 
Yeah. Thank you for sharing all that you have. And I hope some folks out there learn some things about you that obviously you're a really cool and awesome individual. Mm-hmm. Um, but that um, and maybe they learn a little bit um, your background and how you got into oncology. And, mm-hmm. um, but um, yeah, I'm sure people learned a lot and there's a lot to um, that folks will benefit from. So I really appreciate you sharing your story and well, thanks for having me on here. This was fun. Yes. See, you're an awesome guest. Um, Okay. Well, I can't wait to see you on the unit and uh, have a great rest of your day. Oh, I will. Child free. Yay! (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Bye. Thanks so much for tuning in today. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and leave an honest review on whatever platform you're listening. Also, feel free to share this with your nursing colleagues. If you'd like to email me, you can do so at founddownpodcast at gmail.com. Feel free to send in any stories. Just make sure they're HIPAA compliant. Also, you can follow the podcast on Instagram at founddownpodcast. We'll see you on the next one.